Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Love Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clutch. This is Chuck Wally filling in for Marianne tonight, and Mae Wilkinson is running our Twitter tweet chat, and you can join in at tweetchat.com with the hashtag TCK. Tonight we're kicking off our 2012 Sunday Night Series with a uh, special guest, Dr. Gil Tippy. Dr. Tippy is the founder and clinical director of the Rebecca School in New York City. And the Rebecca School utilizes the developmental individual differences relationship-based methodology, and they consider the variations in an individual's motor and sensory processing systems to tailor a child's program to his or her specific needs. And tonight we hope to learn a little, more, a little bit more about the school, the program, and the theory behind it. So with that, Dr. Tippy, welcome to the Coffee Clutch. Uh, thank you very much, Chuck. It's really nice to be here. Yeah. Well, Dr. Tippy, as I understand it, you are a disciple of Dr. Stanley Greenspan. And uh, can you tell us about the approach he pioneered, he pioneered and how it differs from the others? Or from some okay, of the others, well, I, I should say. I, yeah, well, um, disciple is probably a good way to describe me. Um, acolyte might be another one. I, he's a, he was a wonderful man who stood up and said, okay, look, we are working with kids on the autism spectrum, and thank God we are. Um, but there are other ways of working with kids, and I want to use a relationship-based model. So he took a good look at all of the developmental theorists who are out there and said, okay, I think we can do better. So he came up with a developmental model, um, not unlike every other developmental child psychology model that you guys ever ran into in any of your college courses, and um, said, okay, this is how we're going to work. We're not going to work in the way that applied behavior analysis, which was the primary way in which kids were being worked with mm-hmm. at the time. Um, 
that was the model that was being used and probably still is the most prevalent model. And we're not going to work in that model. We're going to work in the way that human beings have always worked with their children, and we're going to assume that this is a developmental difference and that we can work with it um, the way that we would work with typical kids. So that's really uh, what he decided to do. The way that it's different from... Um, applied behavior analysis models, ABA models, um, is that it's not using an outside reinforcer to get a kid to do something you want them to do or to get them to point to something you want them to point to or make a noise that you want them to make. Instead, it's a model where you get into a relationship with a kid in the same way that you would get into a relationship with any child, um, and then you use the child's interest as your way of getting in and getting the kid to be in the kind of relationship that we know all children develop in. So it's really a pretty simple model, truthfully. It's based on just good, sound child development theory. been around for a long, long time. Yeah. Well, you know, with my son, that is the first uh, model that I ever really was introduced to, so I really didn't know any other. Um, But when you talk about outside... When you talk about outside influence, you use, I think an example you use uh, it might be an M&M um, in your book where, you know, you want to have a child say something, and if she says it, well, you get a treat. Am I oversimplifying that? Well, um, I think the ABA uh, people would say you're oversimplifying it, but that's the basic okay. model, right? And we're, we're, talking about, right. we're talking about taking something that the kid wants, and pairing it with something that the kid doesn't want on the theory that the kid will do the thing he doesn't want to do in order to get the reward. And that's not to say that rewards don't work. I mean, certainly a lot of us mm-hmm. um, a lot of us work for our salaries, but those of us who have jobs that we truly love and truly embrace um, don't work for our salaries. The salaries Correct. are how we keep our families going and keep our lives going, but we work because we love our work, and that's really the difference in the two models. Um, yeah. Kids will do. You can get a kid to do almost anything if you give them a treat or a re, what a what an ABA therapist would call a reinforcer. Um, mm-hmm. And you can get them to do anything, but pretty soon all they're doing is working for the reinforcer. All they're doing is working for the treat. And if you're only working for your salary, the truth is you're going to despise what you're doing. And then when you despise what you're doing, not too much is going on in way of learning. So um, you know, that's why we don't do it. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. Uh, about, uh, I don't know, a year ago or so, we had uh, author Daniel Pink on this show, and he talked about uh-huh. that very, th- very same thing. Yeah, so... Uh, it's always great to hear that reinforced. Well, it's really uh, true. If you look at um, the early childhood stuff that's going on now, not even related to autism, all of the early childhood education basically is saying the same thing. You can't teach kids uh, using that kind of a behavioral model. It just doesn't work. Yep. And what uh, Daniel Pink has is, is always said is that, you know, to motivate employees, you, know, you need to do the same thing. You need to have them do the things they love instead of the things they have to do. So uh, great comparisons. Um, so what are the components of the uh, DIR methodology? It's the developmental individual differences, relation-based, relationship-based methodology. Uh, uh, that's, that's, that's a real mouthful, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and it's not a very elegant model name. Um, you know, Dr. Greenspan uh, would have named things that would have been almost impossible tongue twisters for people. But uh, what it really means is that the D 
in the DIR model stands for development. And it's really just a typical child development model. First, a kid has to do one thing, and then they build their skills on that, and they do the next thing. And, and so it's a, it's a model where kids build their skills, and that's really how child development takes place. And so whether you believe Dr. Greenspan's model or whether you believe Piaget's model or whether you believe any of the other developmental theorists, that's what the D in DIR stands for. It stands for developmental. And if you don't look at kids from a developmental perspective, you really don't understand how it is that they're um, acquiring the skills that um, lead them to be able to do the things that we want everybody to be able to do. So D is, D is uh, developmental. The I in the DIR model is individual differences, and I think this is where the DIR model is really strong. Um, every single human being has ways in which they process the world that are different from other human beings. Um, I would love to be able to move quickly, see a baseball coming toward me, move to my left effectively, pick the ball up and throw to first base in the way that Derek Jeter does, but I just can't do it. I haven't got the same kind of processing that he does. There are some things I do better than Derek Jeter, but it mm -hmm. isn't play shortstop for the Yankees. Um, and so... We all have differences. All of us um, have things that we prefer and don't prefer. I might like a loud con concert. You might like the symphony, and I might fall asleep. So all, if, if processing differences are the norm within all of the human population, why isn't that? Why can't we consider that amongst the kids with whom we work? So um, we think about that all the time in the DIR model, individual differences. And that's um, one of the areas that I think we're really strong in. So occupational therapy has been talking about this for a long time, sensory processing mm -hmm. disorders. But um, this is the model that really takes that to heart and really looks at kids um, from the perspective that one of the ways in which you end up getting the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder is by having real processing difficulties. And since that's true, we want to take a look at every kid's processing system and their ability to put together a plan uh, out of their out of their senses. So they see something and then they have to put together a plan to go and do what they want to do. We look at mm -hmm. that processing and say, okay, how can we support that? Where is it weak? Where is it strong? How are we going to work with that? So that's the I in the DIR model. And then the R is really the simple and beautiful part of the model, and that's the relationship. There isn't any learning, as you well know, having gone through, I'm making assumptions about you, but going through fairly typical schooling. And uh, mm -hmm. the teachers with whom you had these beautiful, loving, warm relationships where they were kind and thoughtful um, and really cared about you and were looking at you, that's where you did your best learning. And we know for a fact that's where kids learn best, and uh, that's, what, that's what they are in the model is about. So it's a pretty simple model with a really long and cumbersome name. Right, right. And, and so you, you, you spoke about those, uh, the, the integration processing. And if you could, could you put your Serena Weedner hat on and give us a quick background there in the, in the sensory subsystems and the relevance to the well-being, uh, well-being of how they affect those with autism? Because it's kind of an important thing. I know, at least in my life, when I try to explain things to people, they really don't understand, especially if, 
you know, they don't have ch- children with autism or special needs or, you know, they're just finding out that their kids have, you know, autism. Um, so what, what are these sensory subsystems and what are their importance? Well, the ones that we're all taught about when we're growing up in school, your vision, your taste, your sense of smell, your hearing, and your touch, those are five of the important things that you have to pay attention to. And we really depend, surprisingly, because we do it so without thought, on all of those sensory systems linking up and being able to make sense of the world. But if one of your systems is a little slower uh, or a little quicker or blocked entirely, if you have trouble Mm -hmm. um, processing your sight, for instance, then sounds come at you more quickly than your sight does. Or if you have trouble processing touch, you may not want to be touched at all. And it might also affect whether you want to walk into a classroom because kids Mm -hmm. might be too unpredictably willing to touch you. There are two other systems that we almost never talk about, but that um, we think about all the time in the DIR model. One is your vestibular system, and all that is is the system that, um, if you spin around a lot, makes you dizzy. It's the system that tells you where your head is in relationship to gravity. And the second system is your proprioceptive system, and that is the system that tells you where your body is in space. And uh, we process those systems without without ever thinking. So you can feel where your body is without looking at your hand. You know where your hand is, so you can put it on things without looking. Um, but if you're having trouble processing that system, you're having real trouble making sense of the world. So imagine that yeah. you can't really feel the floor when you put your feet down. You can't, you're only processing the world in flashes through your visual system, and your hearing isn't linking up with that. Well, that's a pretty terrifying world to be in, and you're spending mm-hmm. most right. your tr- you're spending most of your time trying to keep yourself safe. So, if those systems aren't linking up, you never really get to the point where you map even where your body is in space. If you don't do that, then you're not going to be able to map where you are in your world. And if you don't do that, and this is the part that that I think it is really hard for people to understand, if you can't map the world, what Stanley used to say is, if you can see the trees but not the forest, um, you will never be able to be an abstract thinker. And that, for me, is really the key to um, getting the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. If you are Mm -hmm. working out of your really fabulous memory, and kids on the spectrum very often are, um, but you are not able to be abstract, then you're going to really struggle. And all of that comes um, out of not being able to process your sensory system. So it's a really important aspect of this whole model. Yep, yep. So tell us about... Um, and getting, we'll get into that model and how you use it, but tell us a little bit about the Rebecca School and what physical attributes make it special and how do the teachers make it special? Well, um, I just want to say that I have never met a finer, harder-working, more devoted, loving group of folks than uh, the people who work at the Rebecca School. We mm-hmm. have the best a group of teachers, TAs, occupational therapists, speech and language pathologists, music therapists, um, 
OT and PT, and I know I'm probably forgetting in this list lots of other wonderful people, but it, it, they are a special group of folks. But other than that, what makes Rebecca School special is we are one of the only places um, anywhere that is doing purely developmental individual difference relationship-based work in a school setting. We don't do any other methodology in the school. So we are not using any applied behavior analytic techniques or any of the other methodologies. We are purely DIR. And the way we assured that we were doing that is from day one, when we were first thinking of the school, Dr. Greenspan signed on and said, okay, I'm in, I'll help you. And so he did the direct supervision from, you know, designing the classrooms to um, doing case conferences weekly with my staff to supervising me directly on all of the aspects of the school. So the thing that really makes us, I think, unique and of most use to the kids that we see is that we're doing DIR and we're doing it in every aspect of the school program. And uh, that came directly out of our direct contact with Dr. Greenspan. But we were really, really fortunate. Right. So in order to do that, you must have a pretty um, pretty interesting school layout. I take it you know, just don't have the normal gym, do you? Well, no. Well, we're so we're uh, we're about thirty-five thousand square feet, right in the middle of Manhattan on Thirtieth Street, and um, between Madison and Park. So we are right in the urban setting. We're a vertical campus. Um, we have all of the city noise and all of the all of the things that go along with being in New York City. And you would think that this was an untenable uh, thing to do, given that you know kids on the spectrum have all kinds of sensory issues. But the truth is that uh, because we spend so much time working on those issues and that's the focus of our program, the place works beautifully. So we have, we do have a regular gymnasium in our vertical campus and we have an adapted phys ed teacher in there and, and that program is really great. But we also have two large sensory gyms and we have a large occupational therapy department and a large physical therapy department and um, they also push into the classrooms, and we use the hallways. So this is a this is a school filled with movement and filled with uh, sensory opportunities all day long. It's a part of our program everywhere we go, including in the classrooms, which all have a sensory corner, and every classroom has a suspended swing uh, for the kids oh, wow. in the classroom. So it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's got to be huge. I mean, yeah. just... I knowing how I wish I had one of those swings in you know my classes as my child grew up because that would have uh, that would have made things a heck of a lot easier for a lot of things. But that that's just that's just outstanding. So well, we really um, told people from from the minute that they apply that this is not a school where we're telling kids to put their hands down and to sit with their hands folded at desks. If you learn best sitting on a ball, well, then you're going to sit on a ball. And if you need a 10-minute mm -hmm. break every single hour to uh, do an obstacle course in the hallway so you can get yourself grounded again, um, that's what you're going to do. And we take that seriously. So it's part of our program all day long. Yep, that's that's fantastic. So uh, can you give us a few examples of some of the treatment plans you know, give us, you know, I, I can't say, you know, a typical child because there is no typical child. But if you could, you know, pull out, um, you know, a couple kids and tell us about their treatment plans 
and and what their typical day is like at the Rebecca School. Okay, well, it probably uh, you know I'll give you an example of uh, of a typical kid at the school, and um, I'm sure I'll forget some of the things, but we'll go through it. Uh, well, kids come in on a bus. Um, most of these kids are traveling uh, on fairly long bus routes because we're unique. Um, they come from all over the five boroughs. They also come from Long Island. We have had kids from Connecticut. We've had kids from New Jersey, and that's a fairly sizable bus trip. Um, but because there's no other opportunities to have the kind of program that we have, parents will send their kids. So kids come in on the bus. They come into the school. Uh, the staff greets them, takes them to the classrooms. And then typically what kids have are um, days filled with um, floor time, which is the play-based piece of the DIR model. So floor time is play with a purpose, and the purpose of floor time is to move kids up the developmental ladder, to join them where they are, and then to continue to move them up the developmental ladder. So kids will be doing floor time in the classroom, and that is part of their academic schedule. If a kid right. is able to do higher academics, we, we have regular academics. We have um, you know typical science classes. We do um, fairly typical things. If kids are able to do that, because we want kids to move to less restrictive environments. But for the most part, what we're trying to do all day long is get kids to be part of a continuous flow with other people. This is a disorder of relating and communicating, and so that's the important part for us. Then we might right. have a, um, a push-in music therapy group. We have a music therapist who travels from classroom to classroom and does a whole classroom group. Um, or you might have a session in the art room. So we have an art teacher and a TA in an art room with a uh, we have a kiln, we have a pottery wheel, we have all the regular art stuff, and so we have regular art classes. We have uh, movement groups throughout the entire day. Then um, if the kid needs it, and um, for the most part, as you can imagine, most kids on the spectrum need OT, um, the kid might have a pull-out occupational therapy session, which might last a half an hour, or the occupational therapist might push in and run a group within the classroom with two or three kids, or the occupational therapist and the speech and language pathologist might be running a cooking group, which is meeting both occupational therapy and um, speech and language feeding goals. Um, and we also have a really large interactive music therapy department um, with licensed music therapists who do one-on-one -on -one sessions or two-on-one -on -one sessions with kids. Um, and they are interactive music therapists who are trained not to do, um, they're not teaching music to kids. What they're trying to do is take kids and get into a a conversation with them musically. It's some, it, I don't know if you've ever seen this, Chuck, but it's a really beautiful thing. And they have to be um, consummate musicians and they have to be able to improvise and um, for the most part uh, the therapists that we have are trained in the Nordoff Robbins method of music therapy um, which means that they are interactive and they're improvisational it's really a beautiful thing and mm -hmm. it matches with DIR and we give them um, some of the toughest kids in the school so the kids who are having real trouble generating language and are having real trouble communicating we uh, we give them a music therapy, and those music therapy therapists get in there, and on day one, it's an amazing thing, begin these musical conversations with kids. So um, 
and then they might have a speech and language session and the speech and language person might push in or pull out. Uh, so kids have a really full day moving in and out of classrooms, um, being part of dyads, being part of larger groups, being part of circles, being part of affinity groups. Um, but it's pretty varied, and you have to be one talented teacher to run a classroom like that. Yeah, really, it really sounds like it. It, it sounds is. like it's amazing. Teachers, they have they have to be talented, and they have to be on their toes. It sounds All like a long. great place. Yeah. Well, uh, there was one thing one thing you mentioned before, and I wanted to uh, talk about this a little bit because. Um, to me, it sounds. To me, it's been one of the uh, tenets of building a relationship with my son, and that's been the floor time. So, right. can you explain that a little bit for our listeners? Sure. Um, so, floor time is what um, Dr. Greenspan and Dr. Weeder called the play part of the DIR model. So. They wanted um, people to get down and figure out what it is that the kid was interested in. And once you figure it out, to get down there and join in it and use that thing as a way in. So very often when I first meet kids, you know, kids uh, are holding on to trains or wheeled vehicles and they're lying on the floor and they are watching the wheels go by their eyes. And, um, and nobody has been able to sort of crack into that. So I want to get down on the floor and be there with that kid and join them in the joy that they're getting looking at that car. And I may uh, bring my own car to it. I may want to play with their car. I may, um, you know, playfully uh, obstruct the rolling of that car so that we can uh, get into an interaction, the two of us. And I want to take mm -hmm. what was originally a stereotypic sort of behavior, very self-absorbed behavior, and turn it into an interaction. So once I get a kid engaged with me and wanting to go back and forth with me, I have in my mind the developmental levels that we talked about earlier. First, I want the kid to be able to stay calm. Then I want the kid to be able to be with me and be engaged. Then I want the kid to be able to respond to what I'm saying or doing and for me to respond or, uh, to what he's saying or doing. And then I want to do that in a more continuous and fluid way. And then I want to be able to move into the world of fantasy play and move into the kind of play that you see kids, uh, more neurotypical kids engage in all the time, but which kids on the spectrum will very happily go to so long as you're willing to really support it and really continue to work with kids. And that's mm -hmm. where kids develop the ability to be abstract. So floor time is this really joyful back and forth, giggly, laughy, if you can make it, fun um, friendly thing as Stanley used to say all the time remember that affect is your friend that's that's your best ally when you can get a kid happy and loving being with you that's your best thing and what is the age limit for floor time uh, I don't think there is an age limit uh, the <laughs> honest, <the> <laughs> you know we go at Rebecca school right now we're 4 to 21 and um, uh -huh. we are doing we're doing floor time with the kids with the kids we call it our transitions program uh we have to at the age of 16 start to make a transitions plan for the kids uh it's a law and uh our transitions program is really doing floor time but it's doing it um in a way that 
is appropriate for older kids. So whereas you may be lying right. on the floor playing with trains with a younger kid, um, older kids, we're going out into the community, we're going into the supermarket, and um, we're saying, okay, so what do we need to do next? How are we going to do that? And uh, allowing kids to take the time to process you know, this very, let's imagine they're in a grocery store, these very confusing grocery stores with, you know, lighting, which they may find difficult and noise and distraction and colorful labels. We're giving them the time to process it and saying, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Um, it's our way of taking floor time um, to the uh, to the community. So we are still doing floor time. And I have to tell yeah. you, I think that, I would want to be worked with in this way, uh, even if I were a fully grown adult um, and uh, still wanting support on the autism spectrum. It just seems to me this is more respectful, more loving, and certainly more joyful. Yes, and you know it really works to a person's strengths, you know, as opposed to uh, dictating, you know, um, something to them and their. I think it's just human nature that they're going to respond much better. Um, oh, I, I agree. And, you know, um, parents don't want to drag their kids through endless sort of what looks like mindless drills to them. And they um, usually by the time that I see a parent and a child, they have been through some pretty dreadful stuff. And um, they just are hoping that there is, something that's not going to require that they they force their child to sit at a table or that they um you know that they they do some of the mindless things that they've been forced to do so they're really happy once they find floor time it seems to me that uh i end up getting all of the all of the good stuff from the parents that <laughs> i guess other people have missed yeah yep yeah. So um we have a couple minutes left here um so i, okay. I want to talk about um for, you know, obviously we all don't have access to such a place like the Rebecca School, and if we do, we may not have the resources to send our kids to such a great place. So for those of us who are working through public schools and, and you know, doing the best we can, what advice can you give to us parents? Okay, well, I, I see kids in my private practice, so I go to the public schools all the time, and I talk to the special ed department about what they can be doing for the kid that won't cost them one nickel more that would actually be in their best interest and would um, would make it so that the kid would make much better progress. So that's actually going to be easy. So um, I strongly, strongly support um, a good sensory integration occupational therapy. So very often school districts will say to you, okay, I'm going to give you, you know, two times 30 occupational therapy, and then they will say, um, they won't tell you what the occupational therapy is going to be. Mm -hmm. So um, the truth is very, very rarely um, is the primary thing that you should be working with on with a kid on the spectrum uh, fine motor stuff. So if, you know, your school district has your occupational therapist sitting in a tiny office with a table and all she has access to is tabletop activities or graphomotor stuff or pinch your grass stuff so they're sorting mm -hmm. into bins. Um, yeah. Tell her, hey, we really like you. You're a wonderful person. Let me make some suggestions. Let's turn the hallway yeah. 
into your gym. So I'm giving you permission to take him out in the hallway and have him carry a heavy load of books, and we're going to go deliver a load of books up to the principal's office because he said he needed that. And then when we get to the principal's office, he has another set of things that you're going to be carrying to this other place. And, oh, by the way, you're going to have to use a map. I'm not going to help you that much, and you're going to have to figure out the, your way through this maze of a school. All of those things those sort of treasure hunty things that you could do, pushing heavy things, carrying things, moving from spot to spot, are infinitely better than being stuck in a tiny office. Now, if they have a sensory gym, hey, you know, you win. The other thing that I would say is if I were a parent, I would say, Dad, um, it's usually dads, Dad, go in and watch the occupational therapist and then say to her, what is it of all the things you're doing that I could do at home? And oftentimes they lift their kids up, Dads like to bounce their kids on the bed. Dads yep. like to hug and tickle their kids. Dads like to pay the tickle chase game. All of those things, if you're doing it thoughtfully and you got supported by your occupational therapist, which the school is going to give you anyways, uh, you could do them at home. You could make ten times as much progress. And for parents, for mothers, and this is usually mothers, although there are great fathers at it too, and by the way, there are great mothers at the tickle chase game. I don't mean to say that. But um, for mothers... Get down on the floor and begin to work in a fantasy-based way with your kid. Do not hold up a cow and say, what is this and what sound does it make? Instead, voice the cow. So you're the cow. Oh, you know, hi, I want to come over and play. And even if your child looks at you like you're crazy, you want the child to begin to think, oh, my gosh, there's something other than pointing at a cow and saying it's sound. What is my mother trying to get at? As Dr. Greenspan always used to say, you want to instill in the child the spirit of inquiry. What is it that's going on here? And so this fantasy-based play is so important to child development. So if you only did those two things, got down on the floor and did fantasy-based play with your kid, voicing all these animals, voicing the puppets, don't point at stuff, and also got your kid up and spun them and tickled them and squeezed them and did all of those good things, all of which under the eye of an occupational therapist who the school district is going to give you anyways, um, you would, you'd you make tremendous progress. And uh, while Rebecca School is a great idea, you don't need Rebecca School in every town in this country. Well, that is uh, that is great advice. And, um, you know, I hope everyone takes it to heart because those are great things. <laughs> those are exactly the things that uh, – um, uh, when I took my son to his his first therapist, those were the things we were doing. I guess they uh, it was good advice then. It still sounds like it's good advice now. So, uh, Dr. Tippy, uh, let's talk about uh, your book. Um, can you uh, let's, let's give a plug for it? That's uh, the name is Respecting Autism, uh, the Rebecca School DIR Casebook for Parents and Professionals, and it was co-authored by you and the late uh, Dr. Stanley Greenspan and. Uh, uh, also, can you give us the uh, website for the Rebecca School, please? Okay, so Rebecca School's website is rebeccaschool.org. Really simple, one word, Rebecca School. And uh, the book itself has its own website. It's respectingautism, that's one word, dot com. And um, the book is really about what we do at the school, but it is told from the perspective of the parents. And I really think that's, um, for your listeners, that's what makes this book interesting. There are 16 case studies, and every study starts with the parents talking about their child 
as their child grew and how they got the diagnosis and how the family reacted to it and all of the things that they went through. And one of the things I'm hearing from readers over and over and over again is that is like, oh, my God, I thought I was the only one who went through this. This is <laughs> phenomenal. I hear my voice again and again and again. I would swear this child or that child was my own child. And the other thing that's really cool about the book, I mean, I think the book's great because I wrote it, obviously, and it's about a school uh, that I helped to found and that I really think is doing good work. But the other good thing about the book is that it's the only place where you get to see Dr. Greenspan's um, actual response to mm-hmm. case material. So the parents presented to Dr. Greenspan, I presented to Dr. Greenspan, my entire staff presented to Dr. Greenspan, and then Dr. Greenspan said, okay, your program is pretty good, but let me tell you what you need to do. Mom and Dad, here's what you need to do, and the school, here's what you need to do. And he supervised uh, me directly on that piece of it. So um, you get to hear Dr. Greenspan's voice, which is, you know, this is a brilliant child development mm-hmm. right. who who really um no one ever gets no one ever got to hear speak directly unless you went to go see him directly and this is 16 cases where he weighs in directly on what's going on with the kid and i have to tell you some of just some of the insights in this book uh they're very typical of stanley greenspan but they're brilliant and they it really gives you a notion of how deeply devoted he was to kid kids and how beautifully he understood them um so those Mm -hmm. are the real strengths of this book i think well i think the strength of the book too is uh, having the uh, football being punted off of the roof and landing (laughs) by the uh, ups truck i I got quite a big chuckle out of that yeah it was astounding actually and uh bounced and hit the wall of the california pizza kitchen and i had to turn and look to uh the uh, program director and say you know, Tina, I think that came off our roof, um, which is not which is not a good thing in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I, I tell you what, it's you know, there are any kids who can figure that out. It's uh, you know these kinds of kids. You know, they just they will find a way. So yeah, it was, uh, it was astounding. Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Tippy, thank you very much for joining us, um, and uh, we will have this. Uh, interview uh, archived on the uh, Coffee Clatch website so anyone can go back and and listen to it and I really want to thank you for uh, joining us tonight and thank you for the book it is outstanding to uh, get to read Dr. Greenspan and in this kind of uh, format just listening to him what his advice is it's 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 a really outstanding book so thanks a lot Uh, well thank you so much Chuck it's been a real pleasure okay and as Marianne would always say, um, well, I'm having a uh, uh, brain freeze right now. What would Marianne say? She would say, uh, wow. She would say, wow. Let's just leave it at that. She <laughs> would say, wow. <laughs> okay, everybody, thanks a lot for joining us, and have a good night. And uh, we'll have some of you join us tomorrow for the shows. And uh, if not, we'll talk to you later on in the week. Thanks a lot. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. 
Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.